This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. You know, this is, ties in what we discussed the other week. In Jewish thinking, the body is, in a sense, superior to the soul. That sounds very revolutionary. You know, in all mysticisms and all religious thinking, it's the soul that's superior. And the body is nothing. The body is insignificant, or the body is just a hindrance. But in Jewish thinking, the body is, um, the body is superior to the soul, in a sense. That's why the ultimate reward will be the resurrection. And the body, all religions believe in the eternity of the soul. Judaism is unique, it believes in the eternity of the body. That the body will be resurrected, that death is temporary. This is a revolutionary Jewish concept. So there's something very holy. God invests his essence in the, in the Jewish body. He chose it. He, when he said God chose the Jewish people, he's referring to specifically the Jewish body. That the Jewish body is holy. And therefore it's eternal and therefore will be resurrected. Death is temporary. So you want to make a connection where the body is buried, that it's there the body is buried. That's, that's the body that, that Hashem chose, and that's so the presence that's at the oil is much more powerful than just the disembodied spiritual, spiritual presence. In a sense, it's almost like the prayer. We pray. Pray is very spiritual, yet when a Jew prays, wherever he is in the world, we turn east. You may be wondering, are we east to face Jerusalem? But the question is, you can ask, prayer is very spiritual. So what's the idea of physically facing Jerusalem? Wherever you are in the world, even in Jerusalem, wherever you are, you face the Holy of Holies. Why? Because all our prayers are sent to heaven through the Holy of Holies. Prayer is spiritual. What's the idea of physically facing towards a geographic location as if God has an address, has a real estate address? That's the whole idea. Because the essence of God is not limited to uh, spiritual, not limited to being infinite. God transcends not only the physical, God even transcends the spiritual. God not only transcends the finite, He even transcends the infinite. <laughs> so the essence of God can combine finite, infinite, so it's connected with a geographic location, a physical spot. And that's where the essence is. So when you're praying and you're trying to get God to change His will, create something new, create a miracle, things should change, uh, the, the sick should be healed, and the, if, you're, if, if things are bad in business, you want God to change it, and things should suddenly start going well in business. And if you're looking for shidduch, you want suddenly Hashem to help you, and whatever it is that you need in your life. So in order to, you have to connect with God's essence. And the way to do it is by connecting to the Holy of Holies, which is where God's essence is revealed. And the fact that it was connected to a physical location, so too with the body. The body is really, 
the expression of God's essence, the fact that God can combine body and soul. How do you combine energy and matter? There's two opposites. What's the connection between energy and matter? That alone is a, a wondrous miracle which only God could combine body and soul, material and spiritual. And uh, the body of a Jew, the body of a tzaddik, there's a special presence there. So even though he, the soul is transcendent, transcends time and space, wherever you are, you know, love transcends time and space. So connect, you can have a feel a connection wherever you are, but nevertheless, there's nothing like the ohel, the place where the physical body is laid to rest because there's a special presence and a special connection connected with the ohel. So most, most yard sides you wish that the neshama should have an aliyah. Here we wish, actually, the neshama should have a yirida. <laughs> the neshama should come back down into this world with the coming of Mashiach and the resurrection of all the righteous. Tomorrow night. Twelfth yard site. We wish that we should have an aliyah. Our neshama should have an aliyah and plug in and connect with that energy, that powerful, powerful generator, powerful energy. The Rebbe. Okay, so we are holding chapter 5. He says at the conclusion of the previous chapter, the Alter Rebbe depicted the study of Torah as a royal embrace. When one studies Torah, his intellect embraces and encompasses the divine will and wisdom. And thus he embraces the king of kings himself, since he and his wisdom are one. In turn... The king, i.e. God's will and wisdom, embraces the mind of the Torah student. But while it is readily understood that the mind can be described as embracing the Torah knowledge that it absorbs, the meaning of Torah's embracing one's intellect is unclear. In chapter 5, Al-Tarebbe clarifies this point. He does so by elucidating the term grasp, used in the statement by Elijah, Elio quoted in the previous chapter that no thought can grasp God except by way of grasping the Torah. Primarily, however, this chapter aims to show how Torah study is superior to all other mitzvot. Not only is one encompassed by God's will when he studies the Torah, as when he performs any mitzvah, but furthermore he embraces God by understanding his wisdom as set forth in the Torah. So in the previous chapter, he explained that the tremendous advantage of Torah and mitzvot, that through Torah and mitzvot, the Jew can grasp God. And he says, although no thought can grasp God, but when you study Torah and do mitzvot, you could grasp God. Why? Because God and His wisdom and His will are all one and the same. So when a Jew studies Torah, and he does a mitzvah, fills a mitzvah, and he studies Torah, you're grasping God. God himself. And that's why you compare the water, the Torah to water. That water pours, you pour the water from the heights, and that very same water ends up all the way at the bottom. So the very same Torah that we learn in this physical world, the Torah that makes sense to us, the Torah that we can relate to, the Torah that deals with physical phenomenon, that same Torah, God is enclosed within the Torah. God himself is found within the Torah, the very same God that's found above, the very same God is found and enclosed in the Torah. So when the Jew studies Torah, you're really grasping God Himself. When you do a mitzvah, you're really embracing God Himself. And now he's going to uh, clarify the point and explain the uniqueness of studying Torah. 
the superiority of the mitzvah studying Torah over all other physical mitzvot, whether in action or whether in speech. A further explanation to more fully elucidate the expression tefisa, rest, in the words of Elijah, no thought can grasp you. As explained in chapter 4, we cannot ordinarily grasp God with our intellect, but only through Torah study. Realizing our inability to comprehend godliness will thus explain how we do grasp Him through Torah. When any intellect perceives and understands some intellectual subject, the mind grasps that subject and encompasses it. And the subject is grasped and encompassed by, and is clothed within, the intellect that understood and perceived it. The subject which is now within the human intellect is surrounded and encompassed by that intellect, much as a material object is surrounded by the hand that grasps it. But the subject can be said to be within the mind only once the mind has fully understood it, as indicated also by the author's use of the past tense. The intellect had understood and perceived it. Before mastering the subject, however, while the mind is engaged in analyzing its details, the subject is still above the mind, and the relationship between them is the reverse. The mind is within the subject and is encompassed by it in the author of his word. Also, the intellect is clothed within the subject at the time of intellectual comprehension and grasping. Thus, in the act of understanding an idea, the mind both encompasses the concept and is encompassed by it. And this is the significance of the term grasping used above. When a person learns a subject, when a person understands a subject, so there, there, there are a few levels, a few stages. First, you get the general idea. When you're learning a new subject, you get the general idea. So your mind grasps the concept, the idea. You have a general idea. General. Then, when you delve deeper into the subject and you really want to understand it thoroughly, and you argue and you analyze it and you try to truly understand it and truly grasp the subject matter, at that moment, your mind is, is grasped by the subject. In other words, you're totally immersed in the subject. So your mind is like swallowed up in the subject. There's no part of your mind that's not fully engaged and involved in understanding the subject. So your mind is like swallowed up within the subject. It's covered up within the subject. Submerged within the subject. That the subject grasps your mind. Like takes grip of your mind because you don't yet understand the subject matter. It's still vague, it's fuzzy, it's nebulous. You're trying to understand it, you're trying to, to understand it in depth. You're trying to truly understand it and grasp it. So while you're struggling to understand it, you sense that the concept is greater than you. The concept is still surrounds you. It's above you. It's beyond your understanding. You haven't yet grasped it. You haven't yet internalized it. You haven't yet uh, understood it properly. So during that time, your mind is grasped by the subject. So in the beginning, when you get the general idea, the general concept, your mind grasps the general headings, the general idea. So your mind grasps the subject matter. But then when you delve deeper, you go into the next level. When you truly try to analyze and truly try to understand every aspect and every detail and truly, until you truly grasp the concept, then your mind senses that this intellect, the concept is beyond you, it's above you, it's surrounding you, and you are immersed within the concept, so the concept like grabs hold of your mind. 
grips, takes a grip of your mind, and your mind is lost within the concept, within the subject matter. And then, finally, once you thoroughly understand it, then you grasp it in every aspect of the concept until you truly understand the concept, then, once it's understood, then you can say that now the, the subject matter is totally swallowed up. The concept is totally swallowed up. Is, is you, you wrap your mind around the concept. And your mind has absorbed and swallowed up and internalized the concept. And it's almost like you can hold something in your hand. You can wrap your hands around it. You can grasp it. You can hold on to it. And you can lift it up and you can move it around. Once you understand the concept, you can put it down wherever you want. You can explain it because it's in, in your head. You've internalized it. You got it. You get it. You grasp it. You understand it full well. You understand it with all its details. Once you reach such a full level of understanding, which only comes through total intense focus and concentration, and during that, those moments of focus and concentration, you are totally absorbed within the concept. You're not thinking of anything else. It's not a half-hearted effort. It only comes through a total focus and concentration where your entire, entire mind is totally absorbed in the concept and you're not thinking of anything else. So at that moment, during those moments, the concept grasps your mind. You're in the grip of the concept. Swallowed up by the concept. But once you have fully internalized and fully grasped and you understand the concept, you've already understood the concept, you understood, you understood it full well, then your mind surrounds the concept. If you are in control of the concept, your mind surrounds the concept. You get it. You grasp it. You have it. It's in the head. It's a two-way process. You grasp the concept, and the concept grasps you. That's the interplay, the interaction of the intellect. The intellect fully engages in the concept. Any concept. The intellect, it's a, live, it's a live interaction. The intellect is all over the concept. The intellect wants to fully grasp the concept. It wants to control, it wants to understand, it wants to absorb, it wants to internalize. It wants to totally grasp the concept. So first it understands the general idea and then it's lost. It's immersed, total immersion within the concept. And it's lost within the, the concept. And then once the intellect fully understands and fully comprehends to your mind's satisfaction that you really get it and you really understand every detail you know whenever any concept in life any subject in life that you master that you truly master until you truly understand it in every aspect of it in every detail until it's all it sinks in until it's fully absorbed in your mind and fully absorbed in the intellect then the concept is absorbed within your mind so that's the nature of intellect. Intellect internalizes. And once you understand something intellectually, it becomes inseparable. Once you understand 2 plus 2 is 4, you can never understand otherwise. Once you get it and you understand it, it becomes part of you. You have it. You grasp it. You own it. It's yours. It's part of you. It's etched into your being. Yeah, I get it. I understand it. It's clear. So it, it becomes internalized. It becomes, becomes part of you. And he gives an example. Now he's going to give an example from a Jewish subject, studying Talmud. But for example, one understands and comprehends a particular halakha, 
in the Mishnah of Amara clearly and thoroughly through strenuous application of the mind. His intellect rests and encompasses that halakha, and his intellect is also clothed in it at that time when he strives to understand it. When a person truly applies his mind to learn a Mishnah or to learn a Gemara, but to truly understand it clearly and thoroughly, in depth, crystal clear, till the subject becomes crystal clear in your mind. That takes tremendous effort. You really have to strain your mind. You really have to stretch your mind. You really have to work hard till your mind truly understands it. Not in a vague, general way, but in a very specific way. Until you truly could articulate it and truly grasp it and understand it and comprehend it. So you have both, both things. On one hand, your intellect grasps and encompasses the halacha. But at the same time, your intellect is also clothed in it. When he strives to understand it, his intellect is totally enclosed and absorbed within the halacha, within the concept of the halacha. Like your mind is lost in thought. You use, you use the English expression, you're lost in thought. You're lost in thought, you're nowhere to be found. Where are you? I'm lost in thought. I'm totally lost in the concept. My mind, I'm totally absorbed within the concept. You can't find me. I'm not here. Where am I? I'm in the concept. When you're truly lost in thought, in great depth, when you truly strain your mind and truly apply your mind to its utmost capacity to truly understand something in great depth, where every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, every part of your intellectual muscle is totally totally absorbed within the concept. At that time, you're totally absorbed within the concept. Is it the same thing that the, yeah, when there's a connection when you pray? Is it the same? No, it's a different... Here we're talking about intellect. Prayer is emotions. Here we're talking about intellect. The idea of learning, the idea of concepts of learning, learn, using your mind. When you use your mind, there's no other organ in the body like the mind. The mind... It becomes totally absorbed in the subject matter that it's engaged in. And once you thoroughly understand the subject and master the subject matter, then the mind that's thoroughly and totally absorbed and digested and totally absorbed the concept and the subject matter until it becomes one with the mind. So that's the nature of the intellect. That's the nature of the mind. And that's true of all intellectual concepts. But now he's going to explain what's unique about when you study Torah, when you study mitzvah, when you study the Torah. Now this halakha is the wisdom and will of Hashem. The rationale underlying the halakha is Hashem's wisdom, and the ruling itself is Hashem's will, as mentioned in chapter 4. It so arose in his will that if, for example, Reuben would claim that thus, and Shimon thus, such and such should be the verdict between them. So he gives an example of the Torah deals with many aspects. Torah deals with the lifestyle of a Jew or a Chaim. Torah deals with Jewish marriages. But the Torah deals with things that are permissible, things that are prohibited, kosher foods, foods that aren't kosher. But then the last segment of the Code of Jewish Law deals with financial matters. I'd say there's an argument between two Jews, Reuven and Shimon. Reuven argues, this is what happened, and Shimon says, this is what happened. Now, one of them is a liar. 
One of them is, is, is an outright liar. And yet the Torah deals even with such subjects. The Torah doesn't just deal with idealistic, spiritual, holy matters. The Torah deals with the nitty-gritty, with human nature, two people having a fight and having an argument, and one of them is lying through his teeth, and one of them is telling the truth. And we don't know who's telling the truth, and what's the halacha? How do, what's the correct verdict? And the Torah tells, reveals to us, this is the will of Hashem, this is the correct halacha, this is the truth, and this is the right approach. So, this emphasizes what he said earlier in the previous chapter. This chapter is a continuation of the previous chapter, chapter 4, that the Torah is compared to water. The Torah comes from on high, and it comes down to the lowest, just like water finds the lowest spot. So the Torah comes into the lowest, lowest sphere. The same Torah, just like the same water that was up and high, finds its way down to the lowest point. So this is the analogy he's using, that the Torah, the same Torah, that exists for God, God's will and God's wisdom, and the same Torah that exists in all the divine realms and the spiritual realms, that same Torah, as it is, comes down and ends up discussing two Jews who are arguing, one of them is lying, and talking about the nitty-gritty financial matters and financial arguments and discussions. And yet it's the same Torah, it's the same divine Torah, the same will and wisdom. And that's why he says, Reuven says so-and-so, and Shimon says so-and-so, and the law is so-and-so. It sounds like a repetition. Reuven says kach v'kach, Shimon says kach v'kach, and the psak is kach v'kach. Kach means so. Why do you have to say kach v'kach so-and-so, and Shimon says so-and-so, and the verdict is so-and-so. He should have just said, Shimon, Shimon says so, Shimon, Reuven says so, Shimon says so, and the verdict is so. Because again, he's emphasizing that the Torah is on two levels. The same Torah that starts out in the divine. Every, every halach in the Torah has a spiritual parallel, a divine parallel. The way the Torah is studied in heaven. What the Torah means on a divine level. And yet that very same Torah, which in heaven deals with heaven, heavenly realms, and the same Torah that deals with the divine, divine realms, that very same Torah comes down into this world and ends up discussing argument, discussion between landlord and tenant and two partners arguing and lender and borrower. And this one says, you paid me. And this one says, I didn't pay. You're lying. And it's the same divine Torah. It's the same will and the same wisdom. What do you study Torah in heaven? On the soul. The soul studies Torah in heaven. After 120 years, the, heaven and the Torah in heaven doesn't deal with oxen, it doesn't deal with landlords, there's no landlords in heaven, there's no rent to pay in heaven, uh, thank God, there's no, <laughs> there's no, uh, so the Torah, all these, all these, uh, of course, that's all they're doing, they can't do mitzvot any longer, in heaven you can't do mitzvot, the only thing they do in heaven, study Torah. Uh, means they study Torah all day. They study Torah, Torah, but Torah on a divine level and on a spiritual re- level. Every every halacha in the Torah has a spiritual parallel. You know, the Torah in this world deals with agriculture and deals with oxen and deals with landlord tenant, but every halacha has a spiritual parallel. What it means on a spiritual level and a divine parallel. So that very same halacha which deals with the divine and the spiritual, ends up talking about dealing with the nitty-gritty, ends up engaging in this physical, material, false world with false arguments. And, and yet it's the same divinity, it's the same divine Torah. The Torah says this is the law, this is the halacha, this is the correct way, this is the way to go about it. So the halachas that we're dealing with here, 
We're dealing here with the will and wisdom of Hashem. This is not just human law. This is not mathematics and physics. When a Jew studies Torah and he learns the Talmud, and he learns the Halacha, and he understands it well when it fully engages your mind, until the mind is absorbed by the concept, and until the mind fully absorbs the concept, you're talking about a level of learning which really challenges the mind. A level of learning where you have to exert effort. A level of learning where you have to strain your mind. Because it's complicated and you really have to grasp it. Not a superficial level of learning and understanding. That's not what he's talking about. The mitzvah of studying Torah is to study Torah to strain your mind. To really exert yourself until you truly, truly, honestly grasp the concept. And that's only through contemplation and focus and concentration and analysis and questioning and really making sure that you really understand it, every aspect, every detail, taking it apart until you truly understand it. So if the Torah, when a Jew studies Torah to the extent that the Torah fully engages your mind, which only then are you truly fulfilling the mitzvah of studying Torah. That's the mitzvah of studying Torah, not just superficially reading. That's not the mitzvah of reading Torah. So much so that the halacha says, Allah uses the expression that everyone has to stop learning Torah in order to go to, to the synagogue and, and Purim and hear the reading of the Megillah. Which is very puzzling. What do you mean? You stop learning Torah in order to read the Megillah? And what exactly is the Megillah? What, you're coming to Shul to hear a novel? The Megillah is Torah. It's part of the 24 books of the Torah. What do you mean? You stop learning Torah in order to go to the synagogue to hear the Megillah? And what exactly, what is the Megillah? You're reading the Torah. The answer is because the real mitzvah of studying Torah is not just reading. A person will just sit and read. That's not fulfilling the mitzvah of studying Torah. The mitzvah of fulfilling studying Torah is everyone on their own level when the Torah fully engages your mind to the best of your ability. It engages your mind and you exert your mind and you focus your mind and you are absorbed in the concept trying to understand the passage of the Talmud or whatever you're learning or the Mishnah or the Halacha and then when your mind fully grasps it when you truly understand it and you feel that you truly understand it we all know in physical things when it comes to business the things that matter to us or things that are, affect our careers we know when we understand the subject matter or we just have a general superficial understanding of it or when we have a true grasp a true understanding which takes effort it takes time, it takes effort, it takes learning, it takes thinking, it takes... And so too, in the midst of studying Torah is that a Jew, the Torah has to engage your mind. So when the Torah engages your mind, fully engages your mind, until you are absorbed by the halacha, and, at this, and then ultimately you absorb the halacha, what are you absorbing? You're absorbing the will and wisdom of God Himself. And God and His will and wisdom are one. So you are absorbing God Himself. So although it's impossible for a human being to grasp God, no thought can possibly grasp God. Not only human thought, but even no thought of an angel or the highest levels of consciousness, the highest level of thought, no thought can grasp God. Unless... The thought is the thought of Torah. When a Jew studies Torah and you grasp the Torah, then by grasping the Torah, you are grasping God Himself because you're grasping God's mind. 
and God's will. So your mind is grasping, truly grasping, wrapping your mind around God Himself. But only one aspect, no? Because God is enclosed in that halach. Although that halach is dealing with landlord, tenant, Reuben, Shimon, arguing, lying, but the Torah says, this is the will of Hashem. When you have such and such a court case, you have such and such an argument, the law says, this is the halach. So it's God's will that's enclosed in this halach. God is infinite. God and His will are one. So your mind, your finite mind, is grasping the infinite. So the only way for a Jew to grasp the infinite is by studying Torah. What a gift. This is the gift of studying Torah. God gave us a gift. He gave us the ability to grasp the infinite. Even if it never did, nor ever will come to pass, that litigation occur over these arguments and claims, thus for the purpose of Torah study, only to learn how to practice its laws, in this case, how to resolve this dispute, then the study of such a law would indeed serve no purpose. In fact, however, there is great value in studying even such a halakha, for thereby one knows Hashem's will and wisdom, and attaches himself to it as the Alta Rebbe continues. There are a few aspects of studying Torah. There's one aspect of studying Torah. It's a mitzvah, like any other mitzvah. Just like it's a mitzvah to put on tefillin. It's a mitzvah to read the Shema twice a day. It's a mitzvah to study Torah. Then there's a more general aspect of studying Torah. In order to know how to fulfill all 613 mitzvot, you simply have to study. If you're an ignoramus, if you don't know, then you don't know how to fulfill the mitzvah. It's impossible. You have to be such a Torah scholar just to know how to do the mitzvah. So that's a practical aspect. I simply have to learn just to know. But then there's a far more primary aspect of studying Torah. And that is, even if you study laws that are totally irrelevant, totally impractical, they will never happen. It is so far-fetched. And you have pages and pages of Talmud discussing, splitting hairs, discussing cases and concepts that never happen. And yet, the... The Jew, and most Jews, if you think about it, in all societies, who studies law? Who goes to law school? If you're planning to be a lawyer, if you're planning to be a judge, if you're not planning to be a lawyer, we just find a doctor spending hours and hours and hours studying law? Unless maybe it's malpractice law. But it's not relevant to his life. And yet a Jew, every Jew studies Torah, studies Talmud. Baba Kameh, Baba Metziah, Baba Basra, which, which is law, financial law. The laws of landlord and tenant, the laws of partnership, and the laws of lending and borrowing, and the laws... Am I planning to be a judge? Am I a rabbi? Am I planning... To, it's not relevant. It has no practical application to me. And yet, the Jew will study these laws with the same zeal and the same zest that he's studying the laws of Shabbat, which are practical. The laws of Shabbat, if I want to keep Shabbos, and the laws of Shabbos are very intricate, you simply have to learn. You have to learn, you have to know, you have to understand. Okay, that makes sense. There's a practical motivation for all this intense study. But why the hours and hours and the hundreds and thousands of hours spending on laws of agriculture is totally irrelevant to me? We wouldn't even know what a farm looks like if we saw it. And, and laws of, of financial discussions and arguments. Are we, are we into litigation? Are we lawyers? Are we judges? But that's the whole beauty of Torah. The beauty of Torah. Ultimately, a Jew studies Torah. 
l'shma for its own sake. We're not studying Torah because to fulfill a mitzvah. We're not even studying Torah to enable us to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs. We're studying Torah l'shma just for the sake, for its own sake. Because what's the value of studying Torah? If the purpose of the Torah was, and this brings us back to the whole point that we discussed last week in chapter 4, if the whole purpose of the Torah was to teach us, to give us a practical guide how to live, God creates a world and He has to give us a practical guide how to live. So then, the value of the Torah is only if there's a practical value. What value would there be to spend hours and hours studying about a theoretical case that will never happen, never will happen, the possibilities of it happening are so remote. But since the whole purpose of studying Torah is not just for its practical aspect, the ultimate purpose of studying Torah is because it's a way to connect with God. Because Torah is the only vehicle through which God reveals His infinite essence, His infinite self. The very same Torah that God Himself learns and studies, His will, His will, His wisdom. That very same Torah comes down into this practical, physical world that we live in. Therefore, we find a phenomenon where the Torah will spend pages and pages discussing concepts that are not relevant and not practical. Why would the Torah spend so much time talking about cases that are not relevant and not practical? Because the essence of the Torah is not about giving us practical advice. The essence of the Torah is that the Torah and mitzvahs enable us to connect with the essence of God. So God thinks about these concepts even though they have no relevancy. They have no practical application. But this engages God's mind. And God, the way He studies Torah, has given us His Torah. The same Torah that God learns and God studies. His wisdom. His will. That very same will and wisdom has descended like water, has flown down to this world and enclosed itself in the physical, practical aspects. And therefore the Torah will deal about Ruvain and Shimon and argument that's so far-fetched that never will happen, never happened, never will happen, never could happen. It's not the point. We're discussing here the concept, the truth. What do you do in such a case? What does God think in such a case? In other words, motivation behind studying Torah is because a Jew is married to God. And that's the purpose of all the mitzvah. We said, Baruch Atah Hashem Alekeinu Melech Olam Asher Kiddushanu, which is the blessing we make before all the mitzvah. Kiddushanu comes from the word Kiddushan, marriage. The purpose of the mitzvah is the connection, the mitzvah itself. The link. I'm doing it for Hashem. It's a marriage. It's a link. It's a connection. Which is why the mitzvot will never change. It's not about a practical purpose. The purpose is, it's an end in itself. It's like marriage, which is an end in itself. The fact that I'm connected with God, I put on tefillin, I'm connecting with God. When I said, Hallel this morning, we make a bracha, I fulfill the mitzvah, that's the end in itself. So if you have a marriage and a love relationship with God, you want to know what your lover thinks, how you love it. That's the end in itself. Not important or relevant if it's relevant or practical. What difference does it make? That's not the motivation behind the Torah. That's a side thing. That's, a, that's, a, that's almost a fringe benefit. That's not the essence of Torah. The essence of Torah is 
I want to be one with God. How are you one with God? When you know God. When you know how God thinks and you know how God minds things. So therefore when I discuss a law, when the Torah discusses a law that's irrelevant and impractical and never, never happened, never will happen. But what's, what, what's interesting to me is what does God say about this case? What does God think? How does God's mind think? And usually it's counterintuitive. It's not the way we would think. It takes us by surprise. But you want to know how God thinks. What's the truth? What's the emiss? What's the divine way of looking at this? What's the divine way of thinking? That's the motivation to study Torah. That's why most of us, the majority of us, who are not rabbis, who are not judges, who will never be summoned, never be called to, to, to give jurisdiction on cases, will study, th- spend thousands of hours studying with zeal and zest, studying about laws that have no practical relevance to us. Laws of financial matters and disputes and discussions and partnerships and agriculture. It's not... It's not because it's a practical application. It's because my mind wants to become one with the mind of God. I want to become intimate with God. And the only way to become intimate with God is by knowing God. By knowing how God's mind works. That's why the Torah uses the word for intimacy in the Torah is das. Va'adam yadas chava. Adam was intimate with chava. The Torah uses the word yada. Yada is knowledge. Because if you don't really know someone, if you don't really understand them, if you don't really get into their mind, if you don't know the inner person, if you just know them on the surface, if it's just skin deep, but if you don't really know how they think and how, then you're not really, you don't feel intimate with them. So you want to be intimate, you want to get into their mind, you want to get into their head. And the more you get into their mind, the more intimate you are. And that's why a Jew studies Torah. I study Torah ultimately because I want to know God's mind. I want to become intimate with God. And the only way to become intimate with God is only through studying Torah. When the Torah fully engages your mind, when you immerse your mind in depth in Torah and it fully engages you until you you are lost in thought, you're lost in the concept of Torah. And until you ultimately achieve a level where you master the concept and you master the subject and you understand every aspect and every detail or whatever portion of Torah you're learning and studying. So you're fully engaged and you have fully engaged the Torah. You have fully absorbed the Torah. You have been absorbed by the Torah, by God's mind, and you have absorbed God's mind. You have become intimate with God. That's the motivation that a Jew has to study Torah. That's the thrill and the pleasure that a Jew has to study Torah. The 99-year-old Jew who has spent every waking moment since he was a little child, studying eight hours a day. He can't wait to get up in the morning to, to spend another 18 hours studying the Torah. Because I'm going to learn God's mind. I'm going to learn how God thinks. What's the divine way of thinking? What's the emiss? What's the truth? I will be absorbed and I will absorb. Because every day you strain, you stretch your mind. You exert yourself, challenge yourself, and study something that's difficult, something that, that, that challenges you. Learn something new. Discover a new depth in the Torah. So you are absorbed in the Torah. Every day you're lost and absorbed in the Torah. And every day you grasp something, a new concept in the Torah. So your mind becomes intimate and one with God. That's the motivation that a Jew has to study Torah.
Yet since it arose thus in Hashem being wisdom, that if one person would claim this way and the other that way, the verdict be such and such. Therefore, when one knows and comprehends this verdict as a halakha set forth in the Mishnah, or Gomorrah, or Hashkim, the halakha codifiers, if one arrives at the identical verdict on the basis of any other legal system, this verdict represents human knowledge, not divine wisdom. If you're learning American law, you're learning English law, Roman law, it just happens to be, it coincides with the same law as the Torah. In this case, they agree, they see eye to eye. But when you learn the human law based on human intellect, so your mind has penetrated human intellect, not divine intellect. But when you study the very same law, but you study it in Chumash, and you study it in Rashi, and you study it in Talmud, and Mishnah, and Gemara, and Halacha, your mind has penetrated through the divine wisdom. And God and His divine wisdom and will are one and the same. If, however, he derives the ruling from Torah, he then actually comprehends and grasps the will and wisdom of Hashem, whom no thought can grasp, nor can any thought grasp His will and wisdom, except when they, Hashem's will and wisdom, both themselves and Allah both, set before us. This is one facet of understanding Torah, namely, that thereby one's intellect encompasses the divine will and wisdom, Furthermore, his intellect is also clothed within them, within the divine will and wisdom contained in Torah. His mind is encompassed by them. As he said earlier, when you study any subject matter, so you absorb the subject matter and you are absorbed by the subject matter. It just happens at two different times. First you absorb the general idea, then you are absorbed by the subject matter. And then, once you fully grasp the subject matter, then you absorb the subject matter. So we absorb the will and wisdom of God, the infinite. When a Jew studies Torah and he understands that subject matter, has a firm grasp and a firm and a deep understanding of the subject matter, then you, your mind, absorbs the infinite. Your finite mind has absorbed the infinite and you are absorbed by the subject matter which is the infinite, which is God's will and wisdom. So your mind is totally encompassed by God and your mind encompasses God. Both. As he concludes here, now this is... And this is a most wonderful unity. In the physical realm, there is no unity similar or parallel to it i.e. of two things that disproportionate as human intellect and Torah, Hashem's intellect, that they should actually become one and united from every side of that. So although he says that that's true of every intellectual exercise, whenever you mind, that's the nature of the mind, the nature of the intellect is to absorb, to internalize, to integrate, to digest, until it becomes etched in your being, becomes part of you, inseparable from you until you, you are absorbed and you absorb. But nevertheless, this unity is unique to Torah and to mitzvot. He says, because the idea that a finite mind, that the finite mind could grasp the infinite and could be absorbed by the infinite, this is something that's unique. When a human being understands any other intellectual concept, it's, it's a finite, you're understanding something that's finite. You're understanding something that the human mind can grasp. So obviously, you're dealing with something finite. So your mind understands something finite. So you, you're absorbed and you absorb something finite. So something finite absorbs and is absorbed with something finite.
Here, we're saying that something finite fuses and becomes inseparable and becomes one with something infinite. Where the finite becomes infinite. There's only one thing in this world that enables us to accomplish this. The studying of Torah. Where the mind absorbs the divine. The divine that's transcendent, that's infinite, that's totally beyond our grasp. The divine that cannot be grasped and cannot be defined. And that very same essence is truly grasped by the mind that understands the Torah. A Mishnah, a Gemara, a Halacha, etc. This is unique. This is phenomenal. This is a phenomenon. This is the gift of Torah, the divine gift. Also, when you understand the concept, for example, an astronomer, an astronomer who understands the concepts of the stars and the movements of the stars and the planets and the, and the force of one star over the other, when you understand the concept, you don't become one and inseparable with the stars and the moon. You become one and inseparable with the idea of the movement of the stars, but not with the substance of the stars and the moon, not with the substance of the subject matter. You become one with the concept of the subject matter. But when you study Torah, A, you become one with God, because what's the subject matter really? What's within the Torah? What's clothed within the Torah? What's found within the Torah? The Torah is compared to water. You have the water itself. You have the essence of God is found within the Torah. So when you grasp the Torah, you're really grasping God. And the mind, when the mind grasps something, the mind comprehends it. And the mind truly absorbs it. So you are absorbing God. The infinite essence of God becomes absorbed within you. A finite human being, a finite human mind. Also, since God creates the world with the Torah. So when you understand the Torah, you really understand it, you become one with the, with the substance. Because everything is created with the Torah. The divine energy, as it's written in the Torah. So when you understand the Torah, you really understand the very substance of everything. Which is why the Talmud says that the Talmudic rabbis are called kings. A tzaddik decrees and the reality changes. Because the tzaddik is in total control of reality. Because since the tzaddik is in control of the Torah, he's mastered the Torah, he has become one and inseparable with the Torah, so he's in control of the world. When the tzaddik decides, he changes the whole world. If the Bezdin, if the Jewish Supreme Court, erroneously decides that today is Rosh Chodesh, and according to astronomy, it's a wrong decision, Hashem changes the whole world to reconcile the opinion of the rabbis. Because the true Torah scholars are in total control of the stars and the moon. If the Torah says that this is the halacha, then the reality changes. That's the fact. The Torah scholars are kings. You have to rise in front of a Torah scholar. Why? Because he has absorbed within him the Torah. It says you should respect your elders. Who is an elder? Zakin. Who is a Zakin? Zeh Shekana Chachma, one who has bought, acquired the Torah. One whose the Torah has become etched in his mind and his being. Because the Torah scholar is a walking Torah. The Torah scholar has absorbed the infinite essence of God. So you have to respect, you have to stand up from the Torah scholar, you're respecting God. So when a Jew studies Torah, it totally transforms you. Because your mind starts thinking 
You start thinking like God. Because your mind has absorbed the mind of God, the divine mind, so you start thinking. You start looking at this world. You start viewing everything from God's point of view. And that's the beauty of Torah. The Torah enables the Jew to look at this world and to see things from God's perspective. And it totally revolutionizes and transforms our whole being, how we look at things. And that's from the three pillars, the three major pillars that support the entire world, which is Torah, Avaidah, Gemilas Chasadim. Avaidah is service, sacrifice, serving God through prayer, through sacrifices, offering to God, trying to come closer to God. Gemilas Chesed is doing kindness, bringing God's love into this world, emulating God. God visits the sick, we visit the sick. God acts kindly, we act kindly. God buries the dead, we bury the dead. God escorts comes to comfort the, the mourners, we comfort the mourners by emulating God and by bringing God's love into this world, which is epitomized by Avraham. Avraham was God's lover, and Avraham brought God's love into this world. And he was like the son. His tent was open. He taught the world kindness, the meaning of kindness and compassion, divine kindness, divine compassion and goodness. Then he had Yitzchak. Isaac was a symbol of sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. He was the one that was offered the Akedah, and he was that heroic symbol of sacrifice, of being, making an offering, of coming close to God. But then you had Yaakov. Yaakov symbolized Torah, the pillar of Torah. And what's unique about the pillar of Torah, it says the three patriarchs, and these three pillars also correspond to the three temples. The first temple was symbolized through kindness, bringing God's Benevolence into this world it was the era of prophecy. It was an era when God's presence was felt in this world. The second temple was the end of the era of prophecy, it was the era of sacrifice. It was also the development of the Torah Shabbat Peh, the oral tradition, which is the rabbis responding and reacting and learning the Torah, which is human, the human drawing close to God. But both of these temples were destroyed. Both of these institutions the institution of prophecy came to an end, the institution of God's revelation came to an end, and the institution of man drawing close to God came to an end, the sacrifices came to an end. There's one institution out of the three that never came to an end. Not only it never came to an end, it never saw any diminishing. That's the institution of Torah. Torah did not diminish for one moment. As it says by Jacob, by Yaakov, Yaakov never died. What Yaakov represents never dies, never diminishes. The Talmud says also about Moshe, Moshe never died. Torah, there's no death, there's no diminishing. On the contrary, every time there was a setback, the Torah flourished even greater. When was the greatest book ever written, the, the Babylonian Talmud? It's even called the Babylonian Talmud. It was written in exile, after the destruction of the Temple. So not only wasn't there a diminishing, a destruction, a lessening, there was only an intensification. The greater the exile, the greater the intensification. After the Spanish Inquisition, we had the outburst of Kabbalah, the greatest Kabbalist that ever lived, Rabbi Isaac Luria, the 16th century. What happened after Chalmanitsky wiped out a third of Eastern European Jewry and after Shabtitzvi, we had the Moshemtiv, the greatest explosion of Tzadikim, of Hasidus that the world has ever seen. 
What happened after the Holocaust? We have the renaissance of Jewish life, the whole Balkshuva movement that has spread like wildfire throughout the world. Hundreds of thousands of young Jews, after being severed and disconnected from any Jewish conscious connection, have come back with a vengeance and are coming back in ever-increasing numbers. And the Torah is flourishing like never before. The Torah has been translated to 70 languages. It's on the internet. It's all over. Even Tanya on the internet. So Torah, there's no diminishing. And that's what kept the Jewish people alive. What kept the eternal people? Why are we the eternal people? Because we're the people of the book. When a Jew studies Torah, as a rabbi once said, a Jew doesn't study Torah to get to heaven. Avraham and Yitzchak were trying to make links between heaven and earth. So Avraham was trying to bring heaven down to earth. Yitzchak was trying to elevate earth to heaven, climb to heaven, climb Mount Everest. Heroism, sacrifice. Avram was trying to bring heaven down to earth to display Hashem's love in this world. But did Jacob achieve the ultimate? Jacob who created, Yaakov who created the first Jewish family. Yaakov, when a Jew studies Torah, not in order to get to heaven. When you study Torah, you are in heaven. Torah is heaven. When a Jew studies Torah, he's absorbed by the Torah. His mind is fully engaged and fully absorbed in the Torah. And then his mind fully absorbs the Torah. He is heaven. He has heaven. Because he has become one with the divine essence, with the infinite. He has absorbed the infinite and he has been absorbed by the infinite. Inseparable, one, surrounding all sides, the ultimate unity from within and from without, from around and from within. Totally one and absorbed and been absorbed by Hashem. So when a Jew studies Torah... There's no corruption. Because you are one with God. So much so that the Rebbe even said, in the beginning of the chapter, the Rebbe says that when a Jew studies Torah, your mind grasps and absorbs the concept, and the concept is grasped through the mind which seems like a repetition. Obviously, if your mind grasps the concept, the concept is grasped by, by your mind. But the Rebbe is telling us, this is the wonderful advantage of studying Torah. That even a Jew who is not refined, a Jew who is studying Torah for all the wrong reasons, arrogantly, and is egotistically motivated, that the Torah says that the Torah becomes a poison. The Torah could be is compared to water, but the Torah could also be the Dead Sea. <laughs> Salty water. When a person is so arrogant, a person is so egotistical, that the water doesn't allow any life. Usually water allows life, brings life. But when a person is so egotistical, it becomes a Dead Sea. It doesn't allow anything to flourish. It doesn't allow anything to live. When a Jew studies Torah and he's motivated by arrogance, by ego, he wants to show off, he wants to have a name for himself, he's not motivated by holy motivations because he wants to be connected with God, because he wants to become one with God. He's not even thinking about God. He's just studying Torah as a platform to advance his ego, to advance his position in the community, to gain money, power, fame. Where the waters of Torah, the living waters of Torah, become the Dead Sea, Yam HaMelech. Nevertheless, even that Jew has the wonderful advantage of studying Torah. Because his mind, is, at the end of the day, his mind has absorbed the Torah, and the Torah has been absorbed through the mind. 
So he has absorbed the essence of God. And therefore, the holiness of Torah, the divine spark, the divine essence of Torah, ultimately will reach him and will help him and will elevate him. So that's the power of studying Torah. When a Jew studies Torah, even if he's studying for all the wrong reasons, but nevertheless, the Torah will have a positive and powerful impact on him. The Ma'ar the light of the Torah, ultimately, since he has absorbed the Torah and his mind has become one with the Torah, ultimately the divine, the infinite, he has become one with the divine, and ultimately the divine aspect of the Torah will reach him and cause him to do Teshuvah. So that's the powerful advantage that a Jew has when you study Torah. That you become one and inseparable with God. And this is something that can only be accomplished through learning Torah. Even more so than through doing mitzvot. That's the superiority and the advantage of studying Torah of doing mitzvot. And that's why there is no, there is no um, corruption when it comes to the institution of studying Torah. The institution of studying Torah is unique in comparison to the other two institutions. The other two institutions, when the kindness of Avram, the kindness of Avram is something that's otherworldly. It's not human, it's not normal. Most, most normal people don't have tents which are open on all four sides. Most human people don't act that way. They give away all their money to tzedakah and just leave themselves whatever they need. It's unheard of. Avram was a walking embodiment of the divine kindness in this world. But you, you can sense it's something that's otherworldly and is trying to bridge heaven and earth. He was, it was like a revelation, otherworldly being, a saintliness, a kindness that simply is otherworldly. Isaac's sacrifice is surely otherworldly. Isaac's whole figure was otherworldly. He was intense. He was deep. He was, his heroism, his sacrifice, his courage. There's only a few that can cl climb Mount Everest, that have that courage and have that ability to climb and reach heaven. So again, it's otherworldly. Jacob was the most natural of all the patriarchs. He lived outside the land of Israel. He had a job. He worked for his uncle Laban. He worked very hard. He was very successful. And yet, he was spiritually the most successful of all the patriarchs. All of his children were Jewish. He had the first Jewish family, the intact Jewish family. They were all intact. Why? Because the studying of Torah on one hand, it's the most natural thing in the world. When a Jew prays, when you're talking to God, like you said earlier, you're doing something holy. It's obviously holy. You're talking to God, you're praying, it's something spiritual. When you're giving tzedakah and you're doing acts of kindness, again, you're doing something holy, something divine. Studying Torah from all three is the most natural thing in the world. You're using your mind. The same mind that you use to understand the business deal or to understand science and physics and math or any subject matter to master, to master your career or your field of interest, law, medicine, whatever it may be, that very same mind you're using to learn a piece of Gemara, passage in Talmud. It's a natural activity. You're not doing anything otherworldly. You're using your mind. You have a complex piece of Talmud. You're trying to understand it. You're trying to get it. What's the Gemara asking? What's the Gemara answering? What's the halacha? What's the verdict? What's the correct way? And it's intellectually stimulating and it's, it's brilliant and it's, 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 it's challenging and it engages your mind fully and you're lost in thought and then finally you grasp every detail of it until you truly understand it and get it. 
And yet, your mind becomes one, inseparable, you have absorbed and been absorbed by the infinite, by the divine essence. So it's the ultimate combination, it's the ultimate paradox. We're a human being, seemingly the most human activity of all, using your intellect, understanding a law. Ruven says this, and Shimon says this, and there's an argument. And what's the correct way? The lender argues this, and the borrower says this, the landlord says this, and the tenant says this, this partner says this, and the other partner says this. And what's the law, and what's the correct answer? And it's the most natural activity, and yet at the same time, you become one with the divine essence. This paradox, this combination, of natural and transcendent. This can only come from God Himself. Because the essence of God is, is paradoxical. So the Torah allows us to see reality from God's point of view. From our perspective, there is a dichotomy between heaven and earth. Heaven is heaven and earth is earth. You may be able to make bridges between the two. Either you bring heaven down to earth like Abraham did, through kindness, or you, you bring earth up to heaven through prayer, through sacrifice. That's Isaac's approach. But when you study Torah, and you look at reality from God's point of view, you realize from God's point of view, from God's perspective, from God's mind, from God's view, looking at the reality from the inside out, there is no dichotomy, there is no split, there is no heaven or earth. There's only one reality. There's only one God and one reality. There's just two aspects of the same reality. And therefore, the human mind, the finite mind, could become one with the infinite, could be absorbed by the infinite and absorb the infinite at the same time. This is a wondrous unity that only exists in the studying of Torah. This is the power of studying of Torah. And that's the motivation, the zeal, the zest, the appreciation that a Jew has when a Jew studies Torah. Torah never grows stale. We've been studying it for thousands of years, and yet we study it with the same enthusiasm. Because we realize every time you study Torah, something amazing has happened. You're becoming one in the most natural way. You become one with the end. And it transforms you, and it elevates you, and it totally changes. It's the most natural thing, and at the same time, what you're accomplishing is the most unbelievable. Every time you study Torah when you study Torah properly, when it engages your mind, not superficially. Everyone to their best of their ability, when it fully engages your individual mind. Obviously a very wise person, a very intellectually competent person, what someone else finds challenging to him is not challenging. If, he, if Torah doesn't challenge him and doesn't engage his mind according to his level, on his level, then he's not studying Torah. But when every Jew on their own level truly studies Torah, and truly engages their mind, st stretches their mind, and strains their mind, and, and truly work hard to study and understand the concept in the Torah, then you have absorbed the Torah, and you are absorbed by the Torah, you have absorbed the infinite, you are absorbed by the infinite, you become one, inseparable, heaven and earth have become totally one and inseparable. That can only accomplish through studying of Torah. And that's the drive that drives the Jews to study Torah for its own sake, to connect with God, to be intimate with God, to become one with God's mind and God Himself. And the only way to accomplish it is through the learning of Torah, the studying of Torah. To be continued. Yes. Why is it when you learn a piece of Torah, 
And then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, or five, you learn it. You learn it different. You. Why does it keep changing? Because the Torah is infinite. Yeah. And the more you learn, you always find something new, a new depth, a new nuance, a new insight, a new appreciation. We've been studying the same mitzvot for 3,318 years. And always we find something new, a new depth, a new insight, a new... And everything that we've learned so far, we haven't even scratched the surface. So, when, so in your lifetime, you never learned it? You never learned it? Oh, but at the same time, any level of Torah that you do grasp, yeah. what's contained within that Torah is God's whole infinite essence. So whatever level of Torah you do grasp, you do connect with the essence of God, you become intimate with the essence of God. But because you're dealing here with the essence of God, that's why it's infinite. No matter how much you learn, there's always so much more. The more you learn, the more you realize how little we Even learn. Even on the same subject. Same subject. It doesn't end. It doesn't, it's endless. Torah is infinite. The Torah is whole, the Baal Shem said, because it still remains whole, intact, as if we haven't touched it. With all our learning and all our understanding and the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Jewish books and manuscripts throughout the world, and, and hundreds of millions of Jews who have dedicated their lives to study Torah 18 hours a day, seven days a week, throughout their lifetime, and yet the Torah remains whole, intact, as if we haven't touched Because there's so much more, we haven't even scratched the surface. Even for someone like Rashi? Did. Even, especially for someone. <laughs> because the more you learn, the more you realize that we haven't even touched the Torah. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.